0: This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church. Stay tuned and find us online at nagsheadchurch.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Church. Find a Bible and turn to Acts chapter 22. If you didn't bring one, there's some in the chairs, underneath the seats of the blue chairs and the backs of some of the green chairs or open up your iPad, your phone, and get on the U version app, and follow along with us this morning. I'm I'm going to be. I told the last gathering that I'm going to be um, reading. I guess more scripture in this morning's message than I've ever read and gone through in 42 years of preaching. And I know that automatically. Some of you think, "My goodness, man, you must have started preaching when you learned to talk." And I uh, just about, but. Uh, But a lot of scripture today for our guests, we're in a series called Turn Your World Upside Down. We are going through the missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul and his cohorts. We got to chapter 22 last week, got through most of the chapter. Paul went to Jerusalem, even after he was told by some folks that had received a word from God that, Paul, if you go to Jerusalem, bad things are going to happen. Paul just said, I got to go. In fact, Agabus, the prophet, took Paul's belt and tied up his hands and his feet and said, this is what's going to happen to you if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be bound. And Paul said, I got to go. So Paul went to Jerusalem. Guess what happened? Bad things happened to Paul uh, when he was in Jerusalem. He was was in the temple with, with four other guys, minding their own business, praying. The Jews got upset. Uh, that he was there, they they didn't like Paul. And the reason they didn't like Paul was because Paul used to be their superstar. Paul was their champion. Paul was the guy that was hunting down Christians and taking them uh, to trial to be persecuted and even put to death as he supervised the stoning of the first Christian martyr, Stephen. Paul was that guy. And, uh, And then miraculously on the road to Damascus, we listened to his testimony last week as he shared that. He met the Lord Jesus Christ. His life was turned around 180 degrees. And now he became the superstar, the champion, if you will, for the cause of Jesus Christ. And the Jews felt as though he was a betrayer. He was a traitor they didn't want him alive anymore so they took him outside the temple they began to do whatever they needed to do to put him to death it said luke said they were going to stone him or whatever the roman uh, army commander who was up in the fortress called the antonia right outside the temple saw looked down and saw what was happening and ordered his men to go down find out what's grab that guy so he's not killed i don't know who he is but bring him up here. And, and after some, some several different things and a lot of noise and a lot of racket, he could not figure out who Paul was. So finally he said, look, just stretch him out. Let's beat it out of him and get the truth. And so as they stretched his arms out, tied them to a post, got ready to whip him with a cat of nine tails, Paul looked at the centurion who was in charge of the beating. And he said, by the way, just a quick question before you proceed. Is it lawful for you to, to beat a Roman citizen who's not been condemned by trial. And the guy's face turned white. He ran to the commander and he said, hey, this guy claims he's a Roman citizen. He said, bring him to me. And anyway, they didn't beat Paul and, uh, because of his Roman citizenship. That leads us to where we are today in chapter 22. Let's start reading in verse, verse 30. The next day... Since he wanted to find out exactly why Paul was being accused by the Jews, this commander, he released him, set him free, and instructed the chief priests and all the Sanhedrin to convene. Then he brought Paul down and placed him before them. The Sanhedrin and the chief priests are like the Jewish um, Congress, the, the, the guys that really run all of Judaism. Brought them before them. And Paul spoke to them. And he said, brothers, and he said brothers primarily because they were Jews, but also most likely Paul used to belong to the Sanhedrin, a body of 70 Jewish elders from throughout Judea. He used to be one of these guys. Brothers, he knows them. Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience until this day. Well, that made the high priest really mad. Now, see, he's not thinking you've lived in good conscience. He's thinking you have disobeyed God. You've gone against the law. You deserve to die. And so the high priest Ananias ordered those who were standing next to him to strike him on the mouth, just punch him right in the jaw. I don't know if he did or not. And Paul said to him, looked at the high priest, and he said, God's going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Pretty strong words, don't you think? What was he saying? You're rotten on the inside. You just look pretty on the outside. You are sitting there judging me according to the law, in violation of the law. you're ordering me to be struck. You're breaking the own law the same law that you accuse me of breaking. And those standing nearby, "Whoa, man, do you dare revile God's high priest? Are you talking that way to the high priest? Paul spoke up and he said, verse five, I didn't know, brothers, that he was the high priest. For it's written, you, he's quoting the law of the Old Testament, you must not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Paul didn't know he was the high priest. So how did he not know that? Well, Paul's been away For in this last, just this last journey alone, he's been gone from Jerusalem for five or six years. So a lot has transpired since he's been gone. That's one possible reason. Maybe another reason is they were not dressed. He wasn't dressed in his high priestly garb. He's not going in the temple to do any sacrifices and so forth. So maybe he's dressed like everybody else. He didn't know Ananias was high priest, so he apologized for speaking that way about him. Let me just interject one little thought there. Last week, we talked about Paul knowing his rights as a citizen of, the, of Rome and, and about Paul uh, and, and what some things we could learn from Paul appealing to that citizenship for his defense. And we talked about how we respond to government and the fact that Timothy received a letter from Paul in 1 Timothy 2 where Paul said, Timothy, we need to pray for our governmental leaders. We need to pray for them. And a lot of you last week said, you know what, I, I, I'm going to start praying uh, for our for our leaders in government, in fact, we prayed together in that service last week. Uh, let me encourage you: um, be careful what you say about those in in leadership. Um, you might, like me, I'll just be honest with you, I disagree with so much that's going on in our country, so much. At the same time, we need to be careful we don't speak in in ways that that call them names, you know, that that are harsh. And, and, you know, be, be really careful, all right? We need to, to honor um, the office of our leaders and, and, and not speak evil of them. Verse 6, when Paul realized that one part of them, he's looking at this group, one part are Sadducees and another part were Pharisees. If I can explain that simply for us, in, in the Jewish religion, they had essentially two denominations, all right, two ma- major denominations. The Sadducees and the Pharisees. The Sadducees were the liberal part of Judaism, They didn't believe in supernatural stuff. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in miracles. They didn't believe in the resurrection, all right? Uh, And and they were also the the rich guys in Judaism predominantly and the ones that had the power uh, in the Sanhedrin and the chief priests and so forth were Sadducees. The Pharisees were on the other end of the spectrum. They were the conservatives and they uh, believed in supernatural. They believed in miracles. They believed in angels. They believed in resurrection, from the dead. They believed one day they would be resurrected. And they, so they didn't go, they had some things they didn't agree about. And Paul looks and he kind of has, looks at the crowd and you got, you've heard the, the, the idea of divide and conquer. That's where Paul's going right now. He looks at the Sadducees and Pharisees and he cried out in the Sanhedrin in front of all these people, brothers, I am a Pharisee. Well, what's he done? He's just alienated one part of them and the other part, he's endeared them to him. I'm a Pharisee and they know this, a son of Pharisees and I'm being judged because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. Well, that just stirs up a bunch of stuff in that meeting. When he said this, a dispute broke out between the Pharisees. They said, yeah, we do too, amen, brother, and the Sadducees say, "No way, Jose." And they start arguing and disputing in the crowd, and, and it says the, the dispute broke out, and the assembly was divided for. And Luke gives us an understanding why. The Sadducees say there's no resurrection, no angel or spirit, but the Pharisees affirmed them all. Well, the shouting grew loud. And some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party, the scribes were the lawyers. They knew the law backwards and forwards, inside out. Some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party got up and, as lawyers do, argued vehemently. We find nothing evil in this man. And they asked a question, what if? Trying to put doubt, you know, reasonable doubt in the minds of the Sadducees. What if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him? When the dispute became violent, the Igdiska was going crazy in there, and the Roman commander he's been standing back watching these Jews do their thing, and he realizes this is getting out of hand. I'm afraid they're going to kill this guy because the affair is like tug of war with Paul. When he he feared that Paul might be torn apart by them, he ordered the troops to go down and rescue him again, second time now, from them and bring him back. Into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood by him. Jesus appeared to Paul. As he had appeared to him on the road to Damascus, he appears to him again and he says to Paul these words Have courage, for as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. If you're taking notes, the first point is the Lord stands by giving us hope. The Lord stands by giving us hope. Maybe you've been in a situation, maybe not the same scenario as Paul, but you've been in some situation where you were very fearful of what might happen next. The Lord says, hang in there. Have Courage. Number one, he encourages us. How does he give us hope? By encouragement. And he said to him, Have courage. These th- these were words that Jesus had said on numerous occasions during his ministry. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 2, you know the story when the when the friends brought their buddy who was paralyzed and brought him up and led him down through the roof. Remember that into the room where Jesus was? And Jesus saw him coming down, and he and he and, and it says in Matthew 9, verse 2 seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, Have courage, son. Your sins are forgiven. Later on in that same chapter, a woman finds Jesus, and she's got a physical problem that she's never been able to find a cure for, and she knows if I could just reach out and touch the hem of his garment, maybe I'll be healed. And she touches him, and, and she's afraid because Jesus says, who's touched me? And he turned and saw her and said, have courage, daughter. Your faith has made you well. Mark chapter 10, verse 49, Jesus heard him. And he stopped and said, heard who? Heard this blind guy by the name of Bartimaeus. And he hears Jesus is in the neighborhood and he can't see him, but he starts calling out to him, Jesus! Jesus heard him, stopped and said to his disciples, tell him to come here. And so his disciples go to the blind man. And here's what the disciples said. Cheer up, same words as have courage. Cheer up, they said. Come on, he's calling you. That would be an exciting thing to know. Jesus is calling for me to come see him. This was certainly a time in Paul's life when he needed encouragement from the Lord. There's a good possibility, and he knows it. Good possibility he might suffer the same fate that Jesus met when he faced these same leaders, priests and Sanhedrin, when Pilate was in charge. Jesus said a couple things that we all need to take heart when we're in those places along our journey when we see no hope. And, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but everybody in this room probably has been in a situation in your life where you just thought there is no hope. God, I don't know what in the world can possibly happen to save this situation, to save me, to whatever it might be. First, he said in Hebrews 13, 15, he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Did you get that? Can you tell me, do you understand what the word never means? Never. will never leave you, forsake you. He said in teaching in his, in his ministry in John chapter 10, he's talking about the good shepherd and, and the sheep, the sheepfold, and he talked about his sheep in verse 28. He said, I give them eternal life and they will never Perish ever. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one's able to snatch them out of my father's hand. Do you understand that, Christian? You you kind of are being held by two really strong hands. The hands of Jesus, the hands of his Father. Nobody's strong enough to pry those fingers open. You're there. You're safe. Be encouraged. Another way that Jesus or the word God gives us hope is is that we lean on his word for it. Have you you discovered in your life, how many of you found out through something that happened in your life and you were trusting in one of God's promises and God kept his promise to you? Would you raise your hand? Yeah, that's a bunch of people. Now, let, let me say this. When you trust in his promises, make sure that you're trusting in one of his promises, not something that somebody told you might be. Oh, you know, God... God said, you know, and God never said that. You know, we find his promises here in his book. We lean on his word. He promised he'll never leave me or forsake me. He promised nobody can pry me out of his hands. And even when life might get really dark and there's no light at the end of your tunnel, trust in his promises. He he promised Paul, what was the promise to Paul here? Paul, you're going to testify in Rome which tells Paul what? I ain't dying today or tomorrow. It takes a while to get to Rome. I got some life left in me. God's not finished with me yet. And please understand that Christian. If you're here today and you're breathing and your heart is beating and pumping blood through your veins, and for most of us here, our brains are making waves. You know what that says? That says God's not finished with you yet. He's still got something for you to do. Paul, you're going to testify just like you did it here in Jerusalem. You're going to testify in Rome. Sometimes we lose hope because we lack patience. Now, some of you said, raise your hand. I remember when God's promise came true, came through for me. How many would also say, you know what? There have been times when I've given up on God because I wasn't patient. Raise your hand few honest people. Yeah, wasn't patient. Paul wasn't going to step on a jet the next day and fly to Rome and be there in 24 hours. Paul, you're going to testify before me in Rome. We're going to read in just a little bit that it's going to be at least two years before he gets to leave. Two years of waiting for this promise to come true. Now, if you had to wait two years for God's promise to be fulfilled, what, how would you respond? Would you lose your patience with the Lord? A lot of people, frankly, won't wait. And they give up. You, you know, let, let, let me just, uh, this just came in my mind. I'm gonna say that. I don't mean to hurt anybody's feelings, certainly. But you know, the, the biggest area where I see people losing their patience and giving up is when there are problems in their marriage. I see people abandon their marriages when the least little problem comes along. And God's wanting you to be patient and wait for him to do something. And a lot of people make their their impatience really doesn't give God a chance. Paul trusted Jesus, gonna get to Rome. And you know what his words did, by the way? All those people that said, don't go to Rome, Paul, don't go there. They meant well, but you know what God was saying, the Lord was saying to him, Paul? I'm glad you were here to testify. Now you're going to get to do the same thing in Rome. Verse 12, let's pick up there. When it was day, the next day the Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves under a curse. And here's the curse. There are 40 men, it's going to tell us, Luke will tell us, that did this. And the curse is this. We will neither eat or drink until we've killed Paul. More than 40 formed this plot. These men went to the chief priests and elders and said, we have bound ourselves under a solemn curse that we won't eat anything until we've killed Paul. So now you, along with the Sanhedrin, here's what you need to do. Make a request to the commander that he bring him down to you as if you're going to investigate his case more thoroughly. You know, go to the commander and say, you know, yesterday got kind of out of hand and we got into a squabble. And and listen, we want to do this all over again and we promise this time to behave ourselves. Would you bring Paul down to us again? However, before he gets near, these guys said, these 40 men, we're ready to kill him. But... Verse 16, the son of Paul's sister, Paul's nephew. I don't know how old he is. I don't know why he was hanging out, but he got wind of this. Son of Paul's sister, hearing about their ambush, came and entered the barracks and reported it to Paul. Uncle Paul, come here, man. Here's here's what's going on. There's a plot to kill you. And then Paul called one of the centurions and said, take this young man to the commander because he has something to report to him. So he took him and brought him to the commander and said, the prisoner Paul called me and asked me to bring this young man to you because he has something to tell you. And the commander took him by the hand, led him aside, which tells me he might be a young boy because he took him by the hand. And inquired privately, what is it that you have to tell me, son? The Jews, he said have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the Sanhedrin tomorrow as though they're going to hold a somewhat more careful inquiry about him. Don't let them persuade you because there are more than 40 of them arranging to ambush him. Men who have bound themselves under a curse not to eat or drink until they kill him. And now they are ready, waiting for a commitment from you. So the commander dismissed the young man, instructed him, don't tell anyone that you have informed me about this. Here's a point for your notes. God doesn't always intervene with miracles. I think back to Peter when he was jailed. You know, there are twice, two times, Peter was led out of jail by angels. Remember those stories? Twice. In jail, the church is praying, don't let him be killed. An angel comes and opens the prison door, jail doors, and out Peter goes, and he's okay. Twice, that's miraculous. But here, God doesn't use an angel to open the jail doors and to whisk Paul away. He uses Paul's nephew. He uses a kid. You young people, take heart. Don't think that you know God can't use me till I get to be grown up. It's not. It's providence here. It's not miraculous. He just made sure God did that the nephew was in the right place at the right time. But what if, just think for a minute with me. I'm trying to use my imagination a little bit. What if the nephew had come to Paul and said, Uncle Paul, I heard these 40 guys have this plot against you. They're going to kill you. And here's what they're going to try to get the commander to do. And as you're being taken down there, they're going to jump on you and kill you. And that's what they're going to do. And Paul said, oh, wait a second. Don't tell anyone. Let's just see what miracle God might do. God didn't want to do a miracle there. He wanted to use this boy to get the word to the commander so it didn't happen. You know, there are preachers on TV, especially these guys, who will tell you that the way out of debt, are you ready? You're in debt? Let me tell you how to get out of debt. What you need to do is God will miraculously multiply that amount back to you if you'll just send me some seed money. When more than likely, the truth is, the way for you to get out of debt is for, number one, to cut out unnecessary expenses, number two, to get yourself a budget and live on it, and then number three, honor God in your giving as he provides you. I think the point is, whether it's miracle or providence, the answer to our deepest needs and troubles are always provided by God. It's just not always explained always accomplished by something that's unexplainable or supernatural. Be careful when you hear somebody say, you need to look for your next miracle. Maybe not. Maybe you need to look for your nephew. The real answer from God might be as simple. I've done some financial counseling and it might be as simple as just taking your credit card out and cutting it up. Instead of saying, I'm waiting for my ship to come in, maybe a long time ago, your ship sank. All right? Then God had the pagan Romans provide Paul with safety and security to his next stop on the way to Jerusalem. Again, no mention is made of guardian angels, their pagan soldiers. Verse 22, the, uh, the, the Lysias, the commander, summoned two of his centurions and said, get 200 soldiers ready with 70 cavalry horseback soldiers. And 200 spearmen, that's 470 soldiers are going to escort Paul at night secretly out of Jerusalem. Also provide mounts, horses, so they can put Paul on them and bring him safely to Felix the governor. He uses pagan Romans to provide Paul with safety and security. Again, no mention No guardian angels, unlike Philip in chapter nine, you know where Philip was down when he baptized the Ethiopian fellow down in the desert and then it says, and the spirit carried Philip away and he was seen no more. That was miraculous. That was supernatural transport and there's nothing supernatural about Paul getting out of Jerusalem. He rode a horse in the cover of darkness protected by 270 GIs. And what I find amazing about this, taxpayers provided Paul's protection. That's how God did it there. And the point I think is this, I want you to get is he's God and he can cover us however he chooses. Don't always be looking for the supernatural miracle. Look for the nephew, as I said. The commander didn't know he was acting on behalf of God, by the way. The commander didn't say, well, here's what God told me to do. He didn't believe in God. He just thought he was protecting his own job. Had he allowed Paul, a Roman citizen, to be killed by the Jewish mob, He'd have been in big trouble. Verse 25, he wrote a letter of this kind. Here's what his letter said. Claudius Lysias, that's the commander's name, to the most excellent governor, Felix. Greetings. When this man, talking about Paul, had been seized by the Jews, he was about to be killed by them. I arrived with my troops and rescued him because I learned that he is a Roman citizen kind of stretching the truth a little bit. He didn't rescue him because he learned he was a Roman citizen. He rescued him, and then as he was about to beat him, he found out he was a Roman citizen. Wanting to know the charge that they were accusing him of, I brought him down before their Sanhedrin. I found out the accusations were about disputed matters in their law, not Roman law, and that there was no charge that merited death or chains. When I informed that there was a plot was informed that there was a plot against the man by Paul's nephew. I sent him to you right away. I also ordered his accusers to state their case against him in your presence. So he's kind of sending him up to a higher authority. Felix. Felix, the Roman governor of Judea, started life as a slave. He wasn't free when he began his life. He was a slave and he rose up probably purchased his freedom, and and he became a very powerful man with a very powerful political appointment to be the governor of Judea. But he was also a very immoral man, historians tell us. He had multiple wives at one time. When he arrived at Judea, he fell in love with a woman by the name of Drusilla, who was already married to a man, a king by the name of Azissus, who was king of Amasa, which was a city kingdom in western Syria. The first century Jewish historian Josephus says that their marriage, this is, I find it fascinating. Their marriage was arranged by a fellow by the name of Simon, the sorcerer in Cyprus. We met met a sorcerer named Simon when he was in Samaria. Maybe the same guy. He arranged their, their marriage. He was not a kind governor. When the Jewish high priest, a man by the name of Jonathan, criticized him for how he ruled, Felix had him assassinated, and now he's going to be judging Paul. Therefore, Paul, they took Paul during the night, brought him to Antipatris, about halfway to Caesarea, about 25 miles, as they were ordered. And the next day, they returned to the barracks, allowing the cavalry to go on with him. So the cavalry, of these 70 men on horseback take him the rest of the way. the, The other 400 go back to Jerusalem. He's safe now. When these men entered, entered Caesarea, verse 33, and delivered the letter to the governor, they also presented Paul to him. And after he read it, Felix read, he said, what province are you from? And when he learned he was from Cilicia, which tells him he's a Roman citizen, he said, I'll give you a hearing when your accusers get here too. And he ordered that he be kept under guard in Herod's palace. After five days, Ananias the high priest came down with some elders and a lawyer. It took him five days to find the best lawyer in town, Tertullus. These men presented their case against Paul to the governor. And When he was called in, Tertullus began to accuse him and said, since we enjoy, and he's, he's going to butter up Felix first, all right? Since we enjoy great peace because of you, and reforms are taking place for the benefit of this nation by your foresight. We acknowledge this in everywhere, every way and everywhere, most excellent Felix, with utmost gratitude. However, so that I will not burden you any further, I beg in your graciousness to give us a brief hearing. And this won't take long, that's what he's telling him. For we found this man, Paul, to be a plague, an agitator among the Jews throughout the Roman world, and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes, Christians. He even tried to desecrate the temple. Remember, they they said he brought Gentiles into the temple when he had not. So we apprehended him and wanted to judge him according to our law, but your buddy back in Jerusalem, Lysias, the commander of the army, the soldiers there, came and took him from our hands with great force, commanding his accusers to come to you. By examining him yourself, you'll be able to discern all these things we are accusing him of. And he's lied on several points here. The Jews who were with him also joined in on the attack, alleging that these things were so. He's true, he's telling you the truth. But well, the governor mentioned motion to him, to Paul, to speak. So Paul replied, "'Because I know you have been a judge of this nation,' For many years, I'm glad to offer my defense in what concerns me. You're able to determine that it is no more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem. They didn't find me disputing with anyone or causing a disturbance among the crowd, either in the temple complex or in the synagogues or anywhere in the city. I just gone into the temple with four other guys to pray. That's what had happened. Neither can they provide evidence to you of what they now bring against me. But I confess this to you. I worship my Father's God according to the way, the way being Jesus Christ. I worship my Father's God according to the way which they call a sect. And I believe all the things that are written in the law and the prophets. I believe uh, I believe the Old Testament, all of it, front to back. And I have a hope in God which these men themselves also accept That there's going to be a resurrection both of the righteous and the unrighteous and I always do my best to have a clear conscience toward God and and men. After many years, I came to bring, I've been gone for a lot of years and you remember we read about this study, this in 1 Corinthians, that they took up an offering. The churches in Macedonia took up an offering in Achaia south of Greece to send to the Jerusalem church because they were starving to death because of famine and persecution. We took up an offering, he said, to bring charitable gifts and offerings to my nation. While I was doing this, some Jews from Asia found me ritually purified in the temple, found me in the temple praying, without a crowd, hadn't brought a bunch of people in, without causing any uproar. And it's they who ought to be here before you to bring charges, if they have anything against me. Either let these men here state what wrongdoing they found in me when I stood before the Sanhedrin, Or about this one statement I cried out while standing among them. What was that? I've been living with a clean conscience. Let them charge me with that. But he said, ultimately, here's the deal, Felix. Today I'm being judged before you concerning the resurrection of the dead. That's what this is all about. It's a religious matter. Simply what he told the judge. Well, Since Felix was accurately informed about the way, he knew about Christians. He adjourned the hearing saying, when Lysias, the commander, comes down, I will decide your case. He continued the case. We'll meet again. He ordered that the centurion keep Paul under guard, probably for his own safety, though he could have some freedom and that he should not prevent any of his friends from serving him. So people could come and go, his friends, to visit with him and some days, after some days, verse 24, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and listened to him on the subject of faith in Christ Jesus. Paul, and Paul came and said down. let me explain to you what it means to believe in Jesus Christ. And as he spoke about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix became afraid and replied, okay, that's enough, leave for now. And when I find time, I'll call for you. At the same time, he was also hoping this guy Felix, and this is the corruption that's in often in government at the same time he was also hoping that money would be given to him by Paul. Paul will bribe me, he'll pay for my judgment. Paul didn't for this reason, he sent for him quite often and conversed with him after two years had passed. Felix received the successor, Portius Festus, and because he wished to do a favor. For the Jews, Felix left Paul in prison. So he's being replaced as governor by this guy, Festus. He's going somewhere else, but he leaves Paul in prison, thinking maybe Festus will give him back to the Jews. I'm done here. Point your notes. Always speak the truth. Let God determine the outcome. That's what Paul does here. He was charged by Tertullus, the lawyer, with four infractions of. Of the law. He was charged with being a plague or a pest. He was charged with creating a riot in Jerusalem. He didn't create the riot, they did. He was charged with being a ringleader of the Nazarene sect and he was charged with trying to profane the temple by bringing Gentiles inside. And so when it was Paul's turn to give his defense, he did so. It's not the first time Paul would defend himself against false accusations. It's not going to be the last. He pointed out to Felix, first of all, the charges are empty and false, except for the third one about being a ringleader of the Nazarenes. He didn't deny that. There was no evidence to prove any of those things true, but being a ringleader of the Nazarenes wasn't a crime, and ultimately he said, "Here, you know, here, Felix, these guys over here, Totulus, and these high priest and all you know, you know what gets their shorts in a bunch i believe in the resurrection of the dead that's what this is all about why would the belief in a resurrection from the dead cause the jews so much heartburn well think about it it was it's because the christian message the gospel was that Jesus, who was accused by the priests in the Sanhedrin of being a blasphemer, this Jesus was raised by God from the dead. So these charges, that all boils down to, we want to silence the gospel. In your notes, the last point is the gospel is a compelling story. How do you know that? What happened here? Felix and Drusilla his wife, wanted to know more about the Christian faith. She was Jewish. He was a pagan. Both of them knew, however, they knew something's missing in my life. There's a hole in my heart and I've not been able to fill it with anything. So when Paul, they, they brought Paul in and said, tell us more about faith in Christ, and he does, and he talks about righteousness, living holy lives before God, and that convicted them. They're not living righteously. They knew they were missing the mark, as all of us do. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Bible says there's none that does righteous. No, not one. So righteousness, that bothered them. When Paul talked about self-control, It was as though his words were arrows aimed right at their hearts as the bullseye. They lived without self control, and that was demonstrated by their illegitimate marriage. Paul reminds me, does it remind you here of John the Baptist talking to Herod about his living situation? You're living with a woman who's the brother of your own wife. Of course, it cut John the Baptist's head off for that. He says, you know, he talks about self control. And when Paul told them of of the judgment that was coming, that not only is there a heaven, but there is a hell, it brought fear into the hearts of Felix and Drusilla. So much fear that Felix Felix said, stop right there. I don't want to hear anymore. He essentially said this, this isn't a convenient time for me to hear this. Let me ask you a question. Have you put off doing what you knew was the right thing to do because it wasn't a convenient time? How many people grow up and they say, I'm going to sow my wild oats, and when I get old, then I'll turn my life over to God and I'll settle down. Luke tells us that over the next two years, Felix, two years, Felix brought Paul in and he listened to Paul share the gospel many times, but Luke never says one time, And Felix believed and was baptized. You know, I think if Felix had believed, if he had come to faith in Christ, I just have to believe that God would have Luke, right? Make sure you write that in there. That's awesome. It's not there. What a tragedy to have heard the good news about grace and mercy and God's abundant love and forgiveness and eternal life from the apostle Paul. For over two years, what a tragedy to have heard that over and over and over and never receive it. It's tragic. I want you to bow with me for prayer. Your heads bowed, your eyes closed. And maybe there's somebody in this room today that you might say, you know what? I, I'm kind of I relate to Felix. I've heard the gospel. Maybe you've heard it over and over. Maybe it's the first time you've ever heard it, but you've heard it over and over and you say, I know in my heart it's true, but I've put it off. Let me say to you what the Bible says. The Bible says that today, listen, today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, not when I grow old and white-headed, not when all my children are grown, and I've got more time today. There will never be a more convenient time than right now. And here's the great thing about God. He will take you right now just as you are. What do you mean? You don't have to get your act together first. He welcomes you into his forever family. Whoever you are, whatever is your past, if you will simply admit your need as a sinner and to accept his son Jesus as your savior. He'll do, he'll do, not you, he'll do whatever needs to be done in your life. And maybe you're here this morning and you're saying, that's what I need to do. And this morning I want to accept Christ as my savior. I'm tired of having this empty place in my heart. And I'm telling you this morning that if you accept Christ, he will fill that hole. And if you, by an act of simple faith, want to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and give you the forgiveness of all your sin and to give you a brand new life right now, I want to pray for you as you believe. And if that's you this morning, while nobody's looking but God and me, you say, Rick, today I want to accept Christ. I want to trust Jesus as my Savior to fill that hole, to give me everlasting life, forgive me of my sin, to give me a brand new life, so I can start afresh. I want to do that today. I want to pray for you. Would you just slip your hand up as I'm looking across the room? Anybody at all? Rick, today. Thank you. God bless you. Anyone else? Let's pray. We sang about freedom early on in this gathering. And today, Lord, this one who raised her hand It's trusting Christ, and you are right now freeing her by your truth, by your grace, by your gospel. And I thank you and praise you for that. Help us to be like Paul, those of us who are believers, and those of us maybe who maybe somebody else here that has not yet put their faith and trust in Christ. I pray, God, that they would not be like Felix and keep putting it off and putting it off and never believe. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now listen, if you put your faith in Christ, whether you raised your hand or not, I'm gonna be here afterwards. I want you to come up and talk to me and just tell me so. We're gonna sing a song. I want to meet you and congratulate you. If you're a first-time guest, Pastor Tom's gonna be at the Welcome Center. He'd love to meet you and he has a gift for you being here. So let's... uh, Let's wrap up this morning. Let's go out with a song, shall we? Let's stand. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church. Love God, love others, reach the world.